So I am not optimistic about Florida's chances of eclipsing a season win total above that of five and a half. If they get to a bowl game this year, that would be a job well done for Billy Napier in his second season. Hello, welcome in. It's always college football and welcome to March. We made it, everybody. We appreciate you being with us. Jack Foster, Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We have appreciated you coming to us from all corners of the United States of America and internationally. We look at the podcast number, so many people watching around the world. We appreciate you being with us. It's been awesome. Awesome to experience this college football offseason with you so far. And we still have a lot that we need to get to, including our continued coverage of spring football practice, which officially gets underway throughout our great country. NC State, Boston College, Miami, Florida, Indiana, USC. So many teams getting underway here in the next few days. So we're going to take a little bit of time today to dive into some of their spring storylines. And because we love you guys so much and we appreciate so much all the interaction we've received from you, we're going to dive into the mailbag a little bit today as well. So let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. Let's talk about some spring football. All right, getting underway today, the NC State Wolfpack. Now, some changes in the offseason here for NC State. We all know that Dave Dorn's team and really staff, everybody involved at NC State, have done a really nice job of continuing to put forth a really solid product. Now, they've also had some inconsistencies in recent years. They've had some ups and downs, but they've also, for the most part, been very steady. Now, I just want them to take that next step. Can it happen here in 2023? There's reason to believe that it can. It starts with their home schedule. You get Notre Dame at home. You get Clemson at home. You get Miami at home. You get North Carolina at home. You got all those teams at home. You have a chance to obviously pull out some of those thoughts. But We're not going to talk about the schedule right now. we got to talk about the personnel. You have a new offensive coordinator. Robert Anai comes in. He was at Syracuse last year. Will they be able to implement the pass-happy attack that they've used at times? Now, Robert Anai's done a lot of different things. We've seen him run the ball with great success. We've seen him use quarterback run with great success. We've seen him throw it around the yard and like in a run and shoot style of attack. So we've seen Robert and I use a lot of different offensive philosophies in his career. What will he implement at NC State? The good news is they do have a really high quality quarterback coming down in Brennan Armstrong. Now people will say, well, if you watch Brennan Armstrong last year, it really wasn't that impressive. Well, I would agree. I would say that last year's performances from Brennan Armstrong at Virginia certainly left something to be desired. Looked like he was never really in sync with Tony Elliott. It didn't look at any point like he ever really got super comfortable. Obviously, his supporting cast along the offensive line, not great. Defensively, they kind of struggled at times, but played better at times as well. Thought the receivers and the personnel that came back as far as his perimeter weapons would be able to gel nicely for Tony Elliott, but there was just a disconnect throughout the course of last season. So I think it makes sense for him to get a fresh start. We'll see. We will see if his 
being able to reunite with Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I. Remember, they had tons of success together at Virginia a couple years ago. Will they be able to recreate some of that magic that led to exceptionally good offense there in 2021? I'm cautiously optimistic that it can happen. I think NC State's one of those teams this year that there's not that many people talking about, but we are talking about a team that's won at least eight games in five of the last six seasons. And tell me right now, if you were to put together a top 25 team or top 25 list, would NC State be on it? And over the course of the last handful of years, would they have consistently been on it? Because they would be for me. That's for sure. In order for them, however, to get to the next step, they got to be able to create a lot more consistently offensively. Remember last year, now you lose Devin Leary, but this is an offense that averaged 20 points per game. And that's in the ACC, a league that isn't exactly hanging their hat on ridiculous defensive personnel at every single stop. So I think it's going to be really important for Robert and I to inject some life and for Brennan Armstrong to stay healthy and recreate some of the magic from a couple of years ago. And if he does, NC State can potentially become a problem in the ACC this year. All right, Boston College gets underway here just a couple of days from now. If you look at last year's team, a lot of departures. Eight guys from Boston College entered the transfer portal after the season. But they also were very good when it comes to going out and attracting their own guys from the portal. They added eight themselves. They also had some staff turnover. So it's going to be interesting, I think, to see exactly where the team goes from here. You look at the first two years of Jeff Halfley's tenure. Things were pretty good. You felt pretty good about where they could go in 2022, and then they stumble to a 3-9, and nine, and now everybody has major question marks about what things look like for Jeff Halfley up there on the hill. Tons of turnover along the offensive line is part of why they kind of got away from who they've been. If you think about the best Boston College teams, what are they? They're not heavily reliant on quarterback and wide receiver play. They're heavily reliant on being physical. You got to have great offensive line personnel. You got to have a quarterback that understands how to distribute the football, and you got to have a tight end. You got to have a powerful running back that can get between the tackles and create yards after contact. Felt like Halfley really wanted to promote the skill as a result. Hey, you got Zay Flowers? I understand it. Wanted to promote the skill as opposed to the brute strength. Obviously, they had to. They lost some key pieces a couple years ago, but they need to get back to doing what they do. And if you look at last year's team, as far as the offensive line and running the football is concerned, 2.1 yards per carry. Just not good enough. Plus, Phil Jerkovic gets hurt forces Emmett Moorhead into the starting role. Jerkovic's now transferred. He's going to be at Pitt. We'll see exactly what happens with his success. But either way, if Moorhead's the guy that had 10 touchdowns against just six interceptions, he's going to likely be the guy. But either way, you got to have an offensive line that can move people off the spot, and you got to have a run game that can create that physical edge that Boston College has so heavily relied on in the last couple of years. That would be the number one priority for me if I'm Jeff Halfley heading into the spring. Okay, moving on to the Florida Gators, which will get underway here in spring practice on March the 4th. We know that Billy Napier has kind of come under some fire. Look, he's one year in. 
had what was a very up and down season. You start the season by beating Utah, the expectations get completely out of whack, and then you finish the season with one of the worst performances in recent memory for the Florida Gators. Surely somewhere is somewhere in between is where this program is. Let's talk about what needs to be addressed here in the spring. One you got to figure out what's going on with your quarterback situation, okay? So much of the offseason conversation centered around Jaden Rashada. Well, he's not on the roster. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be Jack Miller? Is it going to be Graham Mertz, who transferred from Wisconsin to be the starting quarterback? I mean, you're not going to leave a situation in which you were entrenched. I don't think Graham Mertz was going to be the guy anyways, especially with the new regime coming in to Madison. But either way, he gets a fresh start. And it's probably going to be in the best interest for him to get a fresh start. Look, he always had the talent. Graham Mertz was highly recruited coming out of high school. Graham Mertz was highly regarded. Even his first start there for Wisconsin, everyone said, oh boy, look at this kid. Graham Mertz might be the real deal. And then it just never really came to fruition. Uneven performance, inconsistent performance, Really did not do an awful lot of good. Way too many mistakes. But was it the offense? Did he just never really flourish because he was kind of limited and was asked to stay contained in what Wisconsin was trying to be offensively? These are all questions that I just don't know the answer to. But I know that Graham Mertz is talented, and I know that he's going to get the first crack at the starting job for the Florida Gators. Can Billy Napier's quarterback-friendly offense take a little bit of the pressure off his shoulders. A lot of people are going to talk because it's Florida about the offense, but that's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern goes back not just one year, not just two years, but three years. Florida's defense, y'all, has become somewhat unrecognizable in the last handful of years. You look at the final two seasons under defensive coordinator Todd Grantham under Dan Mullen. This was years ago, right? A couple years back, Grantham was there the final two years. And then the one season that Patrick Tony was the coordinator last year under Billy Napier, the defense ranked at least eighth or worse in the SEC in points and yardage allowed. Now, that is not something that I'm used to seeing from Florida. Another thing that struggled too, situational football. Last year, they were dead last in the SEC in third down stops. Getting off the field, they gave up more third down conversions than anybody in the SEC. Now, they went out and they were very aggressive in the portal. You get two defensive line transfers that might step right in in Cameron Jackson from Memphis and Tahada Mitchell from Ohio State. Those two guys in the front seven, they're going to be very important. I would anticipate those guys being immediate starters there at the second level defensively. Then you add a couple more pieces in the portal, five guys total in the portal that might ultimately become starters by season's end just in the front seven alone defensively. And then you look too at some of the guys in the back end you have to break in three new starters at safety. You have to break in a couple other pieces on defense. They got to find some answers. They got to find some answers quickly because that's the group that's really been holding Florida back. Offensively, yeah, they've had ups and downs, no denying, but 
Defensively, you can't expect to be competitive if you're at or near the bottom in most important statistical categories. All right, bold prediction for the Florida Gators. They will lose at least five games for the fourth time in the last seven years. Fair or look unfair? At, look at the schedule for Florida. I mean, they might have... I'm not saying it's the toughest schedule, but it's certainly in the mix for the toughest schedules in the SEC in 2023. It's unbelievable. I mean, it is a brutal gauntlet they're going to have to navigate, and I'm not sure... It's going to be one that they get through unscathed. Let's start with the preseason. Now, a lot of people have been critical of Florida in the past for how they've scheduled their preseason. That's no longer the case. They go to Utah in in week number one. That'll be a tough one in Salt Lake City on August 31st. That's a Thursday or a Saturday. I mean, it's one of those three days. It sounds like maybe there's a possibility of that game moving to Thursday. Either way, it doesn't matter. They play at Utah. In week number one. Then you come home, you got McNeese State. Should obviously be a win. Worst case scenario, you're sitting there at one and one. Then you have Tennessee coming to your place. We all know what Tennessee was last year. Now you catch them early, but Tennessee, of course, a team that finished in the top 10 last year, bring back some key pieces off last year's team. Tennessee is going to start the season ranked no worse than 15th in college football, and you have them in your house. That's got to be a game that is super competitive if they're going to carry over some momentum into the second half of the season. Then you get Charlotte. Worst case scenario, you're sitting there, you're at 2-2. Two and two. You're at Kentucky. We all know how difficult that road trip is at Kentucky, and we all know how much that game means to the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky has a lot of answers. With what they've added in the portal, Liam Cohen comes back at offensive coordinator. I think that's a game Kentucky will be favored in. I think that's a win for the Kentucky Wildcats. So you're now looking 2-3. and three. You got Vandy in the swamp. I think that's a win. Now you're at three and three. Here's where it gets very difficult. You got at South Carolina. Do you feel good right now about Florida going in to Williams Bryce and getting a win? I personally don't. Now you're looking at three and four. You got Georgia, neutral site situation. I obviously like Georgia. Now you're sitting at three and five. You got Arkansas in the swamp, a game that Florida absolutely has to have. Let's give them a win because a desperate situation. Now you're sitting at four and five. You're at LSU. You feel good about LSU in Tiger Stadium for the Florida Gators because I personally don't. Now you're sitting there at four and six. You're at Missouri November 18th to keep bowl hopes alive. We all know that Florida's only won at Missouri one time in the last decade. Based on the law of averages, not looking real good. Four and seven, possibly. And then Florida State might start the season as a top five team. Top 10 team at the very worst. Maybe top 15 team at the very worst. Either way, Florida State has high expectations here in the 2023 season. So I am not optimistic about Florida's chances of eclipsing a season win total above that of five and a half. If they get to a bowl game this year, that would be a job well done for Billy Napier in his second season. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. 
And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac. Weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup. Blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken. Strained. Poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, moving just across the state a little bit, we're going to go down to Coral Gables to talk about the Miami Hurricanes. Practice gets underway for them here on March 4th. Tons of turnover for the Hurricanes. Player turnover, staff turnover, a couple of new coordinators for Mario Cristobal as he tries to improve upon that 5-7 and seven record. Now, much like what I just talked about with Florida, people are going to expect Billy Napier and Mario Cristobal to just come in, wave the magic wand, and hey, you win 10 games every single year. But if there's one thing that I can say is that Look at Mike Norvell. Look at Mike Norvell. Look at what's going on at Florida State. And look at how many years it took for Florida State to create and establish a culture of consistency in performance. And look at where they're at right now. It takes time. And I would expect that time, even though I know people won't, I know that cooler heads will not prevail, and I know that rational thought escapes us when we think about college sports. We love it too much, and we're crazy. Fan is short for fanatic. I get it. But ex- example A being Florida State, it takes time. So if you're Miami right now, and if you're Florida, and I hate to pair the two together, shouldn't the focus be on trying to get to the postseason? You didn't, you know, you didn't do it very well last year if you're Florida. You didn't do it at all if you're Miami. Getting to the postseason is of the utmost importance. Florida State didn't get there for a while under Mike Norvell, but now they're back in the postseason, and obviously it's looking like all systems go here in 2023. Let's talk about Miami specifically. Got to establish a culture on offense. Got to establish a culture on defense. That's what the new coordinators are for. When you look at the personnel, solid group, actually. Like a solid group that comes in in the recruiting class. Like feel pretty good of some of the additions they also made through the portal. They were very aggressive in going out and turning over the roster and getting guys that are going to be all in as far as their future plans are concerned. Now, one thing that they have to do, they absolutely 100% have to do, if they're going to get back with any notoriety in the ACC whatsoever, they have to be able to somehow revitalize Tyler Van Dyke's career. Absolutely have to get him back 
to looking the way he looked two years ago. Now, I'm very optimistic about the offensive coordinator hire in Shannon Dawson. Now, Shannon Dawson, of course, comes over from Houston. He's a guy that is extremely good, I think, when it comes to creating a very friendly setup for the quarterback. They're going to put the quarterback in comfortable situations. And if you look at what Houston's done in the past, and you look at what Shannon Dawson's done in the past, it looks very similar to what Rhett Lashley did. And Rhett Lashley was the one who was the OC when Tyler Van Dyke had all the success. So I think the number one focal point for their approach here in the spring, figure out how to make sure Tyler Van Dyke can look like the 2021 version of himself. Because if he can, Miami can again become a problem. But if he looks like the 2022 version of himself, they're going to continue to struggle offensively and they're going to have inconsistencies on both sides of the football. All right, bold prediction for Miami heading into spring. The Hurricanes will win their first bowl game since the 2016 season. Fair or unfair? It's it's a good question. First of all, bowl games are all about matchup. So to say that they're going to win their bowl game would be a next to impossible endeavor. Uh, but I would say this. I like their chances of getting to the postseason. You look at their games. You have Miami, Ohio in week number one. You got Bethune Cookman in week number three. You should win both those games and should win them convincingly. You're also at Temple. That should be a win. You get Georgia Tech at your place. That should be a win. So in their first five games, you should be at worst four and one if you're Miami. At worst. I'm not saying you will be, but if you're having the season that you expect to have, you better be four and one through the first Five, the one loss being on the road, or excuse me, at home against Texas A&M, who I am optimistic about this upcoming season, but still certainly a game that Miami can win. That's for sure. You might be 5-0 and if you could take care of business against the Aggies in the second week of the year. Then it starts to get a little bit tougher there in the middle half. You're at North Carolina, the defending Coastal Champs. That'll be a difficult game. Then you get Clemson at your place, the defending ACC Champs, in a two-week span on the 14th and the 21st, respectively. Go 0-2 in those two games. It's not the end of the world, but would love to try to get a split there if you're Miami and you want to take a huge step. You get Virginia at home there on October 28th. That's a must-win game. I think if you're going to get to where I think you can potentially go because you have two-game stretch on the road, that might be the toughest two-game stretch of the entire season for Miami. You're at NC State on November 4th, and then the following week, you're at Florida State in a game that will be bonkers if Florida State's as good as I think they're going to be. Probably looking at a possibility there of going 0-2. 1-1 would be terrific. You're sitting there next week. You've got Louisville at your place. And then you finish up the season in a tough game. It's a tricky game at Boston College on Black Friday. It's going to be cold. It's going to be rough. The weather will be tricky. And I'm not Super thrilled about the matchup for Miami, but I'm not really a huge fan of Boston College this year as well. So when you put it all together, you got losses at Florida State. You got loss at NC State. You got a loss against Clemson. And I think you probably have at least two more losses on the schedule. Seven and five would be a really nice step in the right direction for Mario Cristobal and the Miami Hurricanes. I think the upside is higher than the downside. Like if you told me, Greg, if you put the win total at seven, you have to pick over or under. I would take the over with Miami, 
but I think seven's probably about right. I don't feel good about the under. I think they're at least a seven-win football team. Anything less would be a huge disappointment in year number two for Mario Cristobal. Moving next to Indiana, spring practice starting for them as well on March the 4th. Massive transfer portal class. Tom Allen went out and got very aggressive. Four-win season a year ago led to some massive changes and the emphasis in trying to turn over the roster and try to make the roster more mature in the short term were of the utmost importance to Tom Allen and his staff. Now, you look at their transfer portal hall, just all things considered, just ranking the portal classes in and of itself, Indiana came in at number 10. That's pretty impressive. You go out and get Texas A&M transfer Marcus Burris. You get Texas Tech transfer Marcus Bleedy, or uh, Philip Bleedy, excuse me. And you get Western Michigan transfer Andre Carter. Those are massive additions to the defensive line room by themselves. They had to go out and make sure that they hit a couple home runs in the portal. I don't know if you would necessarily consider those aforementioned players as home runs, but this was a group that was pretty inconsistent on defense and offensively, just a lot of ups and downs. They got to get back to doing what it was they did a couple years ago, man. They were great against the run. They had excellent linebacker play. And you look at their offense, man, when they were really humming, they were pretty good running the football. Offensive line play has been down the last couple of years. Hopefully they can get back to running the ball with a little bit more conviction. And hopefully they can continue to recruit some of those big body wide receivers that have flourished in Indiana's system the last few years, but they haven't been able to consistently put forth that type of performance offensively for quite a while. So it's a critical year for Tom Allen, a critical spring for Tom Allen to get all those transfer portal guys fast-tracked so that they can plug and play some vital roles for them here in the 23 fall. All right, and finally, we'll finish up out west with the USC Trojans. They start practice also on March 4th. We know that last year was a remarkable year for Lincoln, Riley, and company. People will point to the bowl game. People will point to the Pac-12 championship. I can forgive those performances. It's not the end of the world because it was year number one. Look at the other year number one coaches, Billy Napier, Mario Cristobal. We've already hit a few and look at where Lincoln Riley was relative to his first year counterparts. Okay, Sonny Dykes, the anomaly where things went really well for him. He was the one first year coach that did better than Lincoln Riley. Okay, fine. We'll give you that. Either way, Lincoln Riley has a lot that he needs to sort out here in the preseason. Offensively, I'm not concerned at all. I'm sure you're shocked to hear that because I look at Lincoln Riley and sorry, I distrust him. You bring back your Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and Caleb Williams, you're in a great spot. You bring back Austin Jones at running back. Guy went for 750 and change last year. He's going to be just fine now that we've seen him carry the load for SC down the stretch. But you also add Marshawn Lloyd from South Carolina that might be able to be that number one guy potentially as well. If you have two number ones at running back, you're in great shape. The one question mark I have offensively might be some of the attrition that was felt with the losses of Kyle Ford, Gary Bryant, and CJ Williams at wide receiver. Now, the combination of with, you know what returns and some of the five stars and four star prospects that they've added by way of recruiting they're still probably going to be in the upper echelon in the Pac-12 as far as 
the talent at wide receiver and perimeter skill is concerned. Now, they really need a big body, vertical wide receiver. They got to identify that guy. But either way, I think they're going to be in a pretty good spot. And then offensively along the line of scrimmage, you go out and get a couple of key portal additions in Jarek Kingston and Michael Tarquin. Tarquin from Florida, Kingston from Washington State. They should be in a pretty good spot as far as being able to plug those guys right in or at least creating some depth along the line of scrimmage. Offensively, there are no concerns whatsoever. Defensively is where I'm a little bit worried about USC. Look, Alex Grinch, I think he does a really good job of creating disruption. I think he does a really good job of creating issues as far as penetrations and issues as far as negative yardage plays for the offense is concerned. But they also get gashed a lot. It's one thing to create issues, but it's another thing to be unsound. And there were far too many examples last year in which they were unsound. You look at where they were. The last two games, they scored 42 points and lost. Okay? That's a little concerning. And to defense that was around the bottom of the FBS. Now, it's a state of transition, and this is a defense that requires a lot of trust between the first-level defenders and the second-level defenders, and they have to be on the same page. So it does take time. But either way, not super excited with what I saw last year. You also lose Tui Tui Pelotu. You lose Tui Tui Pelotu as by far your best defensive player. He also led the nation in sacks. Being able to replace his presence will not be easy. Now, you go out and you get after it in the portal. You add Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M. You add Jack Sullivan from Purdue. You add uh, Keon Bars from Arizona. Those guys will be able to help out in the middle, but now you got to find the guy on the edge that can also rush the passer as well. I like what they have at secondary, safety and corner. They should be in pretty good shape. A lot of attrition to linebacker, but they have some good players returning. But defensive front needs to be an all-points bulletin for this defensive staff led by Alex Grinch. So a lot to figure out for USC, 99.9% of it on the defensive side. All right, bold prediction heading into spring. USC will make the CFP for the first time ever. Fair or unfair? It's fair. I, I think that it's very fair. Now, they need a fairly significant jump on defense to be able to pull that off. Uh, yes. I mean, that, that goes without saying. But you look at their schedule. The Pac-12 is very gettable. You do have a road trip to Notre Dame. That'll be on October 4th that'll, or 14th. Excuse me. That will be a very difficult game. We know that. You have a road trip to Oregon. They're on November 11th. That will be a really difficult game as well. But you look at the rest of their road schedule. You're at Arizona State. Not exactly a house of horrors. Not exactly an easy game either. You're at Colorado. I think Prime's going to do a good job of Colorado. Not convinced that they're going to be competitive in year number one. I referenced the Notre Dame game. I referenced the Oregon game. Now you get Washington at home. Will be a very tough game. Utah's at home. Will be a very tough game. If I were to bet right now, you say, Greg, do you say playoff or no playoff for USC? I'm betting no playoff. But I still think the pathway is there. You have the ultimate neutralizer and a game changer in quarterback. And guess what? You just can't be that much worse defensively as you were last year. I'm a little worried about replacing Tui Pelotu, but either way, they should be okay or at least somewhat improved with some new faces 
and a better understanding of the system as a whole here in year number two. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic that SC will be in the mix, but I think nine and three, 10 and two is probably a little more likely for the Trojans here in 2023. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, moving into our mailbag. We appreciate all of you continuing to send in questions. AlwaysColorsFootball at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on social media at AlwaysCFB. So, Coobs, let's kick it off. All right. First question comes from Jack in Tennessee. Nick Saban has only lost to one coach in back-to-back regular seasons, and that was to Hugh Freeze in 2014 and 15. Do you think either Brian Kelly or Josh Heupel can join Hugh Freeze on the list this year? Could, yes. Will, very different, right? (laughs) Huge difference between being able to do it and actually doing it, right? I think both teams, LSU and Tennessee, Brian Kelly and Josh Heupel respectively, are well positioned to continue to give Alabama some fits for sure. You look at LSU in particular. Now, remember, both those games, both LSU and Tennessee, will be in Tuscaloosa this year, so it only adds an additional layer of difficulty, but Alabama's got some question marks. I think Alabama right now on paper going into spring might have a couple more question marks than LSU. LSU brings back their quarterback. LSU brings back arguably their best wide receiver. LSU, if they can get him healthy, brings back arguably their best defensive player uh, in Mason Smith going into last year. And they had a new star blossom in Harold Perkins. So you look at LSU, they might have fewer question marks than just about anybody in the SEC West. And they won it last year in Brian Kelly's first season. So all things considered, I think LSU is poised to continue to be really good. If I were to pick right now between LSU more likely to beat Alabama or Tennessee, I would lean probably slightly in favor of LSU, but that's part of the reason why I think Tennessee, they still got, like, I'm as confident as y'all are in Joe Milton. I think he's going to be really good, but I do think replacing a couple of pieces at wide receiver won't be the easiest thing in the world. You look at what Jalen Hyatt was, not going to be easy to replace that threat of being a guy that can beat you over the top in any moment in the game. Using Alabama's example, look at just how they fared last year without Jamison Williams. Having that speedster is a huge, huge bonus 
for the offense and the fear that it puts into defensive coordinators. So I think both can, but at this point right now, you tell me, Greg, you pick LSU or Tennessee against Bama this year. I'd probably still lean towards the tide because like you referenced, it's unlikely that someone is going to get Nick Saban in the regular season in consecutive years. And the fact that it's only happened once is pretty miraculous. You think about how it happened too. back that 2015 Ole Miss game between them and Alabama it was a wild one for sure there in Bryant Denny. All right. Next question comes from Matt in Nashville. It says the Florida State Athletic Director said, quote, something has to change regarding the revenue gap from the ACC compared to the SEC and the Big Ten. The numbers being thrown out for schools to leave the ACC was in the 120 million range. But would it be worth worth it for a school like Florida State to just leave, join the SEC? And figure out how to pay that off in the future. Couple things here. Is it a guarantee they would join the SEC? That's the first question, because I would say that is not a guarantee. The second thing that I would say is you referenced the $120 million number. Yes, that's the that was the number that floated out the last couple of days. That's the number it would take for Florida State to be able to get out of their grant of rights deal with the ACC. But when you also look a little bit deeper, as far as my understanding is concerned, and I'm not a lawyer, I have not gone through the fine print, I have not gone through the red tape of the contracts, but from my understanding is that if they joined another league, would they be in a position to bring in the revenues from that league's television deal. Because it's my understanding that if they left for, the, let's just say the SEC or the Big Ten, they would not be able to collect from the SEC and the Big Ten from their revenue distribution for a handful of years after the fact. So yes, the exit fees would be one thing, but the inability to collect would also be something additional. So the numbers would be somewhere in the 250 to 300 to 320 range when compared to where they were in other spots, they obviously wouldn't be able to collect from the ACC as well. So the numbers, you get mixed reports. What's what? I don't know. I don't have access to the documentation available. All I have is the rumor mill stuff that you have. But if I were Florida State, I would be challenging in a court of law the grant of rights deal. That's what I would do. If I were counsel advising Florida State, I would try to challenge it. Hey, can I get out? If I can't, I want my deal sweetened because there was also a number that was floating around just the other day. Look, I don't, I've never seen it outside of what was on the internet. I'm only going off of what you have as well. Florida State accounts for 15% of the revenue generated by the ACC because of the amount of people that watch with loyalty to Florida State, whereas the average across the board is like 7%. Florida State, by their calculations, accounts for 15%. So could we get to a position where Florida State says, hey, ACC, we want more money or we're going to sue you? Maybe. It wouldn't shock me with where we're going in college athletics. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We'll continue to get to your mailbag questions at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Continue to send those in. We got a long off season. We're going to try to answer at least one question today from this point forward, assuming we have time to get to the mailbag. That'll do it for us here. For Jack Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, 
I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.